0: Cause you know, you know the truth and the truth. The truth is love, yes it is. Doesn't what they said to you. Or anything that you learn from a book or from the news. It's not like that cause it's a thing. It is something that you do. do, 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 do,
1: do, do, do.
0: Baseline, everyone. Dr. William Mackis is a radiologist, an oncologist, and a doctor of nuclear medicine. He's gone from being a prolific scholar with over 100 peer-reviewed papers to his name to now being a prolific journalist, keeping track of sudden deaths, excess mortality, and the wide range of health problems being witnessed, which all seem causally related to the inoculations that were rolled out at the end of 2020. His substack is a must-subscribe for all medical freedom warriors. Get ready for a treat, everyone. We are about to cover a wide range of subjects with the brilliant and prolific Dr. William Mackis. How are you today, Dr. Mackis? Welcome to The Baseline.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure to talk with you. I've been listening to your interviews all week, and good gracious, you are a knowledgeable man, my friend. Um, I'm really looking forward to asking you some questions here. Um, before I forget, I'm sorry, I just have to plug for our listeners. you know, I'm a musician, and today is Bandcamp Friday. That means if you support my music, if you go to jeremiahhosea.com and buy a song, all the money goes to me and I don't have to share the money with a third party corporation. And I'd greatly appreciate that because um, yes, I do have two children to feed and yes, this is a labor of love. And I do take the time to produce this program and bring you incredible guests like the guests we're featuring today. So my first question, Dr. Mackis, and this is a broad question. We're kind of um, starting in a massive way and then we'll work our way into some of the details. But my question is, at this point, considering what appears to me to be an avalanche of injury and death, how are the excess deaths being concealed? Because it seems to me that we clearly have a problem by many metrics, and there's a really strong effort, a detailed effort to try to cover all this up and and sweep it under the rug, how are they going about doing that? How are they succeeding in concealing this avalanche of injury and death?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. There, there's a, I mean, a really a tsunami of, of, you know, injuries, disabilities, and deaths. Uh, now, we're seeing excess deaths in all the highly COVID vaccinated countries uh, United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Germany. Um, Every country that has had, you know, a vaccine uptake of 85% for the first two doses and then booster uptake of 50 or 60%, um, each of these countries are seeing very high excess mortality since the COVID vaccines rolled out. Um, Now, they are admitting to the excess deaths. So, for example, the Canadian government has just admitted that in 2022, 49,000 additional Canadians died. Uh, compared to 2019. So they're admitting the excess mortality. You're seeing, for example, in the United Kingdom, the BBC admits tens of thousands of excess deaths in the UK. The Australian media admits tens of thousands of excess deaths. You can see the excess deaths in the United States as well in in the hundreds of thousands. So they're admitting the excess deaths, but what they're lying about is the cause. They're lying about the cause, and uh, I believe where they're playing with the, um, the data is what causes they're attributing these deaths to. And so a lot of deaths are still being attributed to COVID-19, which I believe is, is a complete fraud. Uh, we're seeing it in Canada as well. In fact, last year, the Canadian government reported 19,000 COVID deaths uh, compared to 2020 when we had 15,000 COVID deaths, and yet we are seven or eight COVID vaccines in. So we shouldn't be seeing uh, so many COVID deaths, COVID-19 deaths. And yet the government claims that, you know, we continue to have this high death rate from COVID-19, despite the fact that the COVID has become mild. Omicron is much milder than, you know, the original strains. Um, The government has recommended, I think the Canadian government has recommended seven COVID vaccines up to now. Uh, So I believe they're hiding COVID vaccine deaths as COVID deaths. Uh, That's one area where they're hiding it. Um, And then, you know, they're spreading out the mortality between other uh, various causes. Um, Now, they talked about missed appointments, uh, canceled doctor's appointments, missed cancer screenings. They're admitting to an increase in cardiac deaths, but they're saying it's from climate change or it's from you know, gardening or showering uh, with cold water or whatever nonsense, you know, you always see the Referee's whistle. The referee's whistle, exactly. Winter you know, vagina. Listening loud, yeah, listening to loud music. You know, whatever the, the ridiculous excuse is, uh, I think there was a Malaysian actress that died of a cardiac arrest, and they blamed, uh, you know, she was blow-drying her hair, and so they blamed it on that. Wow, they, they've, um,
0: they've said people have died of joy. Someone got a perfect score on their exam and drop dead right there from
1: from joy. Exactly. So we're seeing, you know, ridiculous excuses. Um, For the doctors, they're often blaming long COVID. uh, And they'll say, well, you know, you might have had a mild COVID infection, you know, two years ago or three years ago, but now you died suddenly because of whatever reason, you know, we're blaming long COVID for it. Uh, so they're trying to spread around the, the excess mortality, and it's basically anything but the vaccine.
0: And Could I, could I add to, uh, your, to your statement a little bit, doctor, which is yeah. it seems to me that there's an obvious, um, I guess, bailout, I guess, in terms of not pointing to the vaccines where you have elderly people who, you know, if someone's 80 and they die suddenly, well, maybe they were going to live till they were 88 or they were 90. But anyone who's really above, what, the age of 60, we say, oh, well, no one lasts forever. You know, life is mysterious. You never know when you're going to go, that kind of thing. And likewise, when people have long-term health problems, like maybe they've suffered from diabetes for a good period of time. And we say, oh, well, they had diabetes. But meanwhile, they had lived with their diabetes and it suddenly became a fatal condition after vaccination. But those are two groups, both the elderly and people with significant pre-existing conditions who they possibly have died prematurely from their injection, but it's completely written off on the grounds of their age or pre-existing condition. Isn't that fair to say?
1: Well, that's absolutely correct, Uh, and you will see a lot of these deaths uh, labeled as natural causes, died from natural causes. Um, And and it's one of the reasons I don't really report on sudden deaths of of anyone above the age of 60 is because no one one looks at these deaths. No one seems to care. Uh, And like you said, people will, will assume that, well, this person was going to die anyways. Well, maybe they had another 10 years, 20 years, or even 30 years of life left, and their life was shortened by the COVID vaccines. Uh, so this is how these excess deaths are being, um, well, the causes are being hidden, or, or the causes are being uh, sort of, there's misdirection in the way these deaths are being labeled. Uh, now, again, so, so we look at the excess mortality, and um, that is our best estimate as to how many people have died from the COVID vaccines. You know, they're not all going to be uh, deaths caused by the vaccine, but I believe the majority of these deaths uh, have been caused by the COVID vaccines. So when you look at just the excess mortality, how many people died in 2021 or 2022 compared to 2019 or 2020, you can get a good idea of just the, the scale of the carnage that these, these COVID vaccines are causing. Yes, it's
0: really terrifying. And um, isn't it fair to say, before I, I get officially into our second question, I would like to ask you that, isn't it fair to say, irrespective of the amount of injury that is being inflicted by these shots, that the excess mortality at the very least is an indication that it's not an effective medical product to begin with before we get into all the carnage right I mean how can you claim that these are effective well when excess death goes up in, in the entire society not an effective implementation wouldn't you say
1: well exactly uh, we shouldn't be seeing excess mortality and and there's certainly no no other plausible explanation um you know th- to say that well you know there's been increased stress during the pandemic or there's been increased um, you know drinking or, or suicides i mean yes you know those are you know very minor contributions to to uh to an increased mortality but it certainly doesn't ex- explain the vast majority of it um and you know even when you look at covid deaths we shouldn't be having more covid deaths we should be having far fewer covid deaths uh, now that the vaccines have been rolled out. I mean, how are the vaccines 95% effective? How are they reducing uh, severity of, of illness and death when we have more COVID deaths than ever before and they they keep rolling out booster shot after booster shot? Um, so it's clear that, um, you know, at, at at the very least, uh, these vaccines are, are not helping in any way whatsoever. But, you know, there is a lot of evidence that, these vaccines are actually causing uh, harm, and they're causing injuries and deaths in you know in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even more. Right. Um, so let's get
0: into your particular area of expertise, which is your cancer specialist, correct? Yes. And we've heard reports of turbo cancer in association with the vaccines, the novel gene-based, I hate to call them vaccines, I like to refer to them as products that were falsely marketed as vaccines. But in regard to these injections, um, Dr. Ryan Cole warned in the beginning that these shots would deregulate the immune system, which would lead to an uptick in cancers and other specialists made similar warnings. And now it seems that this is playing out and Without getting into a bunch of anecdotes, I do know of a couple of individuals who are relatively young who suddenly have cancer after receiving their injections. I've heard of uh, individuals who had exactly what was described as turbo cancer in terms of something that appears as a stage four cancer and then quickly takes a person's life almost as soon as they're diagnosed, they're, they're dead without even any attempt at treatment. I've seen some of these examples in my own everyday life. Now, my question to you is, I guess, sort of similar to the first question, is what do you say to people, and I've heard more than one person make this claim, that uh, anyone who makes reference to turbo cancer, that's a bunch of nonsense, that is an anti-vax trope, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, before you answer, I'll just say, I find it pretty arrogant to speak for the entire world of oncology, like how would you say that something is absolutely false unless you've talked to every oncologist, right? Unless you're really aware of what you're saying, you shouldn't make some sweeping declaration that something isn't true. But from your professional and clinical experience, what have you seen? What can you uh, convey to the audience in terms of the reality of these cancers you've observed?
1: Well, I can tell you my uh, specialization is nuclear medicine, radiology, and oncology. I'm board certified uh, through a five-year specialization program after medical school. Uh, I've diagnosed uh, about 20,000, over 20,000 cancer patients in my career with uh, cutting-edge PET-CT scans and other, other nuclear medicine scans. And I've treated several hundred cancer patients as a primary oncologist, and I've published over 100 publications, most of them in cancer. Uh, so I have I have expertise in in cancer and you know it's I've I've been basically um, reporting on what I see uh, and what I see is an explosion of cancers in young people the types of cancers we shouldn't be seeing in young people um, and uh, the behavior of these cancers is unlike anything I've ever seen they're presenting at a late stage, usually stage four, sometimes stage three, usually stage four. Uh, they grow very rapidly, they metastasize very aggressively, uh, and oncologists are struggling with these cancers. They, they try to treat them, they try to put people on, on the standard chemotherapy, radiation therapy, even some brand new immunotherapy regimens, and usually these cancers don't respond. Uh, that is one of the fascinating uh, things about this, is that these aggressive cancers in vaccinated people, they're not responding to conventional treatments. And you can see these stories. Now, where, where am I seeing these stories? We're not getting these stories from the oncologists. Uh, most of whom are, are, are simply not publishing these cases. Uh, there's, there's been a few publications, like uh, cases on turbo cancer. I think there's been uh, about a dozen or so. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough actually published the most recent one. Uh, but we're not getting these stories from oncologists. We're getting these stories from the cancer patients themselves, and this is crucial. The cancer patients themselves are telling us about these cancers, and they don't know. You know, some of them don't don't link it to the vaccine. Some of them don't understand what's going on, but they tell us about their cancer journey. Uh, usually, they will tell us on social media, or they will tell us um, on you know Facebook groups or GoFundMe fundraisers and they will give their whole story and they tell us that their oncologist has never seen this before. Their oncologist has never seen this kind of rapid growth uh, of the tumor or or the aggressive spread or the failure to respond to treatment. You know, you have cancers that are supposed to 90, 95% of them are supposed to respond to a particular chemotherapy regimen and they're not responding at all. Uh, And then the prognosis is extremely poor. Uh, these, these unfortunate individuals, uh, the prognosis, in most cases, is less than a year. Um, I would say typically six to 12 months after diagnosis. But in the cases of the really aggressive ones, the brain cancers or the leukemias, uh, you could have diagnosis to death being a matter of weeks, days, uh, and sometimes even hours after diagnosis, the person dies. So the prognosis is extremely poor. And um, again, this is, this is something that the mainstream um, medicine is completely ignoring. They don't want to look at this. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to acknowledge a possible link with the COVID vaccines. And I'm seeing these cancers in people who've had COVID vaccines. I'm not seeing it in people who are unvaccinated. Uh, this is a brand new phenomenon. It's happening in people who've had at least one COVID vaccine. It's happening with people who've had Pfizer or Moderna. We don't know yet about AstraZeneca or Johnson & Johnson because not a lot of people have had those vaccines in North America. And um, unfortunately, the people who did have, let's say, AstraZeneca uh, or even Johnson & Johnson, sometimes they mixed and matched vaccines. So they ended up having Pfizer vaccines after because they couldn't travel because you know, uh, the country wouldn't recognize their AstraZeneca vaccine. So it becomes complicated. We don't know if the AstraZeneca and J&J are causing these cancers as well. Uh, but it's definitely happening in people who've had mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, and, you know, it's you just mentioned, you know, you know, cases. I know I have cases in, in, in my extended family circle and uh, friends that I know, co-workers, it's happening to thousands and thousands of people to deny that this is happening is really to deny reality.
0: I would say so. I mean, it's just, uh, it's very apparent to me. I mean, in terms of, um, what I've witnessed, I mean, I could literally sit here for the rest of the show and tell you just a bunch of really odd stories pertaining to people's health. I mean, you know, a husband and wife sitting there watching television and, um, Suddenly, the woman is noticing something strange in her in her vision. Her, her vision is, is blurry. Something's wrong. Winds up going to the hospital. They say, you have a detached retina. What do you mean I have a detached retina? I was just sitting there watching television. You know, wasn't involved in mixed martial arts fighting or playing tackle football or anything like that. And then you see there's actually a peer-reviewed paper, COVID vaccinations linked to ocular degeneration. Um, hearing about someone healthy person prior to this someone into fitness and eating well and all that stuff kidney disease out of nowhere um i know of again i'm a musician i know of two not just guitar players two world-class guitar players with heart conditions out of nowhere you know so add all of this up I think it's a where there's smoke there's fire situation and I think there's a long history that people should be aware of in terms of class action lawsuits in terms of products that were harmful for decades and it wasn't proven in a court of law for literally decades that yes indeed harm was inflicted so that's where I feel we are right now is we already know extraordinary harm is being done. And the sooner we can stop this train, the better. Let's not wait decades to start acknowledging this. Let's start addressing it now, which um, takes me... Actually, before I get to the question of the vaccine injured, because I would like to know if if you've been involved in any uh, support groups around that in terms of um, helping the vaccine injured, I wanted you to... Uh, mentioned the substack you released this morning, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of these vaccinations also linked to psychosis. I've heard of that, but didn't you just produce an article referencing that?
1: Yes. So, um, you know, there was a there was a new paper that had just come out uh, from Singapore reporting a case of a a young person, I think it was in his 40s, with no no past medical or psychiatric history. Who had uh, three Pfizer vaccines and then recently had taken the bivalent Moderna booster shot, and then developed a, a, a full-blown psychotic uh, episode with uh, with manic features. Uh, now, you know, it, it's interesting because when I talk about uh, mental health changes uh, following COVID vaccination, I get huge pushback, and the pushback I get is that, again, it's, it's, you know, I'm making things up, uh, but where I really uh, am very concerned is uh, is the, is the, um, the, the area of, of suicide, attempted suicide, and, and suicide in people who've had the COVID vaccines. Mm. Uh, and I have seen skyrocketing suicides in vaccinated Canadian doctors who were forced to take the vaccines to keep their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were forced to have a minimum of two vaccines. Most of them have been pressured by their hospital administrators to take, you know six, seven shots by now. and and you could see us just a skyrocketing suicide rate uh, in Canadian doctors. And I was viciously attacked on this uh, because uh, you know, um, usually the detractors will say, well, you're just uh, exploiting uh, a tragedy and for your own agenda. Well, there is no agenda. I am seeing uh, this pattern. Uh, in, in all the vaccinated professions, not just doctors, but I'm um, seeing suicides in, in nurses, in teachers, in the military, mm. police officers, firefighters, uh, anywhere where these vaccines were mandated uh, for people to keep their jobs. This is happening. And what's interesting is that there are many cases now reported in the literature published, peer-reviewed literature um, of vaccines causing very serious mental health changes, uh, whether it's, you know, new depression, anxiety, bipolar uh, disorder, but, but, you know, full-blown psychosis with visual hallucinations, auditory hallucinations, um, hallucinations telling people to, to kill themselves, uh, and then some of these people actually end up uh, trying to commit suicide. Um, and, again, it's, it's, this is something that's not talked about. Uh, you know, we know about some of the neurological injuries that the vaccines cause, you know, the, the Bell's palsy and the multiple sclerosis um, and, and some of the other, you know, strokes, of course, uh, brain bleeds, brain aneurysms. But people are not talking about mental health changes. And and this is pretty well documented in the literature. It's also well documented in the VAERS reporting system. There are, you know, I did another article on kids that had COVID vaccines and had, um, again, psychotic episodes uh, and, and and then attempted suicide uh, shortly after taking these mRNA vaccines. Um, so, you know, this is another area that's rarely talked about, but very problematic. And, and neurological injuries um, and mental health changes, I think that's a huge category of injury. Uh, that we're gonna be seeing over the coming years. I think the two big categories are cancer and neurological problems. Uh, Things like neurodegenerative diseases, early dementia, uh, more and more cases of that are showing up, uh, and just all all sorts of neurological problems.
0: Right, now, I make it perfectly clear, I am not a doctor, I have no medical expertise or training whatsoever, I am a lay person brings experts onto this program to discuss these matters in an effort to educate myself as well as the listening public. So I'm going on a limb here. I'm going to use one of my technical terms and um, ask you, what is the mechanism by which this psychosis could happen? Could this be related to thrombosis? Could there be some sort of permeating of the blood-brain barrier which triggers a, a mechanism in the brain? Or Is that venturing too far afield to say something like that?
1: No, not at all. Um, and, and I think uh, a good way to describe um, what's happening uh, in, in the vast majority of injuries is, is it's the lipid nanoparticle that delivers the, the mRNA. And now we know that there's DNA contamination as well in these vaccines. in uh, all the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine vials They've discovered DNA contamination as well. Uh, and that gets into the lipid nanoparticle as well. But these lipid nanoparticles, we've been told that, you know, you get the injection in the arm. It stays in the arm. It uh, makes spike protein, teaches your immune system how to recognize the spike protein so that if you encounter COVID in the future, your immune system is primed to respond to it quickly. And that, that's, the, that's the idea behind this so-called vaccine. Now, that idea is a lie, and, and, and it was a, a, a very blatant lie from the beginning because the Pfizer's own biodistribution studies show that about 75% of the injection ends up in the bloodstream after several hours. So this stuff doesn't stay in your arm. It actually ends up in your blood. And once it ends up in your blood, these lipid nanoparticles go everywhere. Um, And they cross the blood-brain barrier very easily just by the nature of the lipid nanoparticle itself. So they end up in the brain. The the lipid nanoparticles end up accumulating in the brain. Uh, They get taken up by various types of brain cells. Uh, Then you get expression of abnormal uh, proteins like the spike protein in the brain causes all kinds of um, uh, inflammatory Uh, processes, abnormal inflammatory processes, Uh, and that affects the brain tissue and it it affects it in various ways. Um, And of course, depending on, you know, where this inflammation is happening and to what extent, that's why we're seeing all kinds of neurological processes and and, and neurological injuries. And when you look at the literature uh, of this, Um, whether it's vision problems, whether it's vertigo, tinnitus, you know, hearing problems, uh, all the different kinds of um, neurodegenerative processes, demyelinating processes. Um, The authors, when they publish these cases um, associated with the COVID vaccines, their number one theory on what's causing it is abnormal inflammation, uh, aberration of, of the inflammatory response. Uh, and and so, you know, this this is um, it's it's unfortunate, but it, it is the nature of the lipid nanoparticles um, that end up in the bloodstream, and um, you know, cross the blood brain barrier, and and that's unfortunately what's happening, and why this mRNA platform should be suspended. Um, one of the many reasons it should be suspended, but. The entire platform with the lipid nanoparticles is that, you know, the lipid nanoparticles, you can't control where they go. They go everywhere. And so they cross the placenta, they end up in the fetus, for example. That's why you shouldn't be vaccinating pregnant women with this stuff, uh, because some of it ends up in the baby, in the fetus. And we see miscarriages and stillbirths, and we see, um, you know, growth restriction of the fetus. And, you know, they end up in the brain. And again, that's, that's not being you know talked about very much. But that is the problem with this technology.
0: Right. I mean, it seems that you have something that's on the books and established as dangerous, which is mRNA. And then you take something else that's also established on the books as dangerous, which is the lipid nanoparticle delivery system, roll it into one, and then say, hey, let's use the global public as a dumping ground for proven dangerous technologies
1: well i would say uh, you know i would uh, actually go as far as to say they were, they were failed technologies uh failed. they were failed technologies they uh, you know they try to use it in cancer patients uh that's actually i can tell you that is the reason why i avoided uh these vaccines like the plague because i knew that they had tinkered with this technology uh in cancer they, they could never um uh, figure out it how wasn't to it wasn't ready for successful. prime time at any point it was it was never ready and it, in fact you know what's shocking what most people don't know is that this technology was considered unsafe to use in end-stage cancer patients mm. because the problems simply outweighed uh, any possible benefits while well, they couldn't get it to work uh, and then of course it was only causing problems for cancer patients and yet know they roll this out in in healthy people and billions of healthy people worldwide Um, you you know that that is just the the disgusting nature of of this uh, what they've done is they took a failed drug or a failed you know pharmaceutical product and they kind of repackaged it and uh, remarketed it and rolled it out in the entire population
0: oh my goodness it's such a nightmare now You actually reminded me of something that I intended to ask you about, and it ties into what we're discussing right this moment in terms of the effects on our human race. There's this issue, as you mentioned, of DNA plasmid contamination. We had Dr. Jessica Rose on this program discussing that in detail right as that was revealed by, I think, uh, Dr. Buchholz, if I'm saying his name correctly.
1: Who yep, ma- he, was, he, he, was, he confirmed. It was discovered by Kevin McKernan, geneticist. Right. And he
0: confirmed it. Uh, and, the, and
1: then confirmed by Philip Buchholz. Yeah, Right, exactly.
0: So so my, my question in regard to this DNA stuff right now, they said, oh, RNA is just the messaging system of DNA. That doesn't mess with your DNA to get an RNA injection. And, of course, that was another conspiracy theorist thing that a gene shot might inf- might affect your genes in a significant way. And now we have this issue of plasmid contamination. We have, I believe, a separate issue of the framing and um, the issue of junk proteins being produced by the body in reaction to mRNA injections. We have a range of gene-based issues and questions that are now officially on the table but it feels to me, and, and tell me if this is a good analogy or not, Doctor. Again, I'm I'm a lay person struggling to understand this complicated material, but it feels like a horror movie, like we're approaching a haunted house and we know something is definitely bad inside and we haven't opened the door yet. What do we know about the harm that we might have done to ourselves genetically as a human race? I mean, what are you know, I don't mean to be doomsday, but I do believe in the truth. So in terms of what we know, what could be the long-term ramifications of this thing that we have done to the human race
1: genetically? Well, this is the, well, this is the next big shoe to drop. This is the next, uh, you know, I think big question that's going to be answered. Uh, I think we're sort of on the cusp of answering this question of, of just how dangerous are these products to us genetically. Um, You know, initially, before the whole DNA contamination issue was even discovered, uh, people had concerns about the possibility of the mRNA reverse, you know, transcribing and and, and integrating into our genome. And that was shown that that could actually happen. Now, it was only shown in a lab, in a petri dish, and it was never proven uh, in a a live um, uh, organism. So, but that risk was already there. To begin with, um, and and I remember uh, you know seeing a, a paper that came out about it, uh, talking about you know that they did it in some uh, you know I think liver cancer cells and they were able to actually integrate that mRNA into the DNA uh, through a sort of a complicated process.
0: That was a Swedish so study, correct?
1: Yeah. So 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 that could that that definitely was a risk to begin with now once the dna contamination was discovered that opened a whole can of worms uh, because this dna contamination is problematic because now you're introducing not just mrna which everyone claimed no no it can't integrate into the genome it can't even get into the nucleus and so there's no genetic risk well now you're introducing foreign dna in every single vaccine vial it's been discovered every single vial has billions of copies of these DNA plasmids that have the spike protein sequence in them and other sequences like the SV40 simian virus 40 uh, sequence a promoter sequence as well Uh, and these billions of copies of foreign DNA are being injected into people and now you've got a situation where uh, we're actually injecting a contaminated genetic product into people with DNA, foreign DNA, that can integrate much more easily into our DNA. Uh, and it can I- integrate in various places. Uh, it can knock out um, you know, tumor suppressor genes, for example. So that could account for some of the cancers, turbo cancers that we're seeing. Um, but there's also long-term risk where if these integration events are happening and we are actually integrating spike protein DNA into our uh, genome, that could potentially be passed down to the next generations. Uh, and so, you know, babies, if they receive this, you know, DNA with this integrated sequence in it, well, they now might be producing the spike protein, uh, and it could be causing damages, you know, as soon as, as, soon as they're born. Um, and I think this is the next area that uh, is going to be, uh, that I know the research is already being done, um, in fact, I actually saw a, a, a Twitter post uh, yesterday or this morning uh, by Philip Buckhold uh, cancer geneticist who confirmed the DNA contamination the U- University of South Carolina, and he put out a call um, on Twitter and he said, listen, um, send me your samples and I will test them for, for integration of this uh, DNA contamination with the spike protein and see if a vaccinated person has actually been genetically uh, impacted by these vaccines. So this work is being done. I, I think it's it's a matter of months. Uh, it's, it's only a matter of months before we discover whether this is happening uh, and to what extent uh, it's happening and to what extent have we genetically damaged the population. You know, it might be one of these things, random things that some people will have it, some people won't. Um, but, uh, I think that's the next big scandal, uh, to come. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, we're going to see those results in a matter of months. I think it's going to be a huge scandal. Uh, if, if, if DNA integration is proven, that means we are, we are damaging people genetically. Um, and I mean, if that doesn't get, you know, these things taken off the market, I don't know what will, but I think it's going to cause a huge, uh, outcry. Uh, and it's going to be a huge scandal.
0: Oh my goodness. So I was mentioning the vaccine injured before through this work I've been doing. I've come in contact with the vaccine injured, many of whom I consider my friends at this point. And um, I always keep them in mind when I come on the air to discuss these matters because there are large numbers of people who have been affected by these injections in a way that has been uh, ravenous. I mean, we had um, Danielle Baker on Twitter as the coerced nurse. Um, She lives in in physical agony. I know a lot of people who are in a lot of pain on a daily basis since they've received these injections. Have you been involved with any um, support groups in terms of trying to find some help, trying to discover some methods of recovery for the vast number of vaccine injured? Is there any progress on that front to your knowledge?
1: You know, uh, I'm in touch with a lot of vaccine-injured people, hundreds of vaccine-injured people. Uh, You know, they're trying different things. I'm uh, working with Dr. Peter McCullough. You know, at the wellness company, we have some, you know, uh, products for the spike uh, to try to break down the spike protein uh, that we're looking at. Some people have success with it. Um, You know, my approach to detoxing from these things, or at least trying to detox. Uh, and minimize the damage from the spike protein is is you have to approach it from multiple angles and, and in a very broad way uh, it 's not something that 's going to be uh, helped with you know with one supplement or one you know nutraceutical uh, you have to approach it from multiple areas mm. and you know one of one, one of the uh, one of the thing I always start with that doesn 't require any supplement that anyone can do is uh fasting a three to five day water fast Mm. uh to try to get your body into a state of uh you know ketosis and autophagy kick in the process of autophagy where your body actually starts to clear out damaged cells and it does it because it you know your body realizes that you're starving uh that you might die you know maybe you're in a stuck somewhere you know out the body doesn't know right all the body knows is that you're starving you might die so the body starts to give you survival advantages yeah Uh, and one of these survival advantages is trying to clear a lot of the damaged cells cells that have been damaged by the spike protein immune cells that have been damaged or made non-functional by the spike protein the body starts to clear all of those and then it starts to actually produce stem cells and starts to send those stem cells to different areas of the body where you might need them, hmm. and this is something that anybody can do. Now it's you know it's not the most pleasant thing to fast uh, with water only for three days or four days or five days, but it's something that has helped a lot of people. Um, this is a new area that you know research is being done in, and and this is you know one of the approaches. Another approach is is you know taking some enzymes to break down the spike protein. Things like natokinase, uh, bromelain, uh, these are derived from, uh, you know, natokinase is from soybeans, fermented soybeans. Bromelain is from the pineapple plant. lumbokinase, seropeptase, these are other enzymes that people have tried. Break down the spike protein or try to take things that block the spike protein, bind to it, and try to, you know, prevent it from doing damage. Things like ivermectin. ivermectin. Binds the spike protein and has helped a lot of vaccine injured people. Mm. Um, Quercetin, you know, pine needle tea, dandelion root, uh, black seed, nigella sativa, artemisia annua. There are a number of these uh, natural approaches that you can take to try to reduce the damage. Now, you know, people detractors have come online and said, "Well, you know, you can't detox from the spike protein once you've been injected." you're damaged forever. I, you know, and I find this, that's a very defeatist approach um, because to just kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, well, you know, uh, I've been injected. And now uh, there's nothing I can do about the damage. Uh, I, I don't think that's true. Um, and I don't like that approach. Uh, I think you have to be proactive. I think you have to attack this thing, try to tackle it. Uh, because if you do nothing, what happens is you've got blood clotting going on. So sooner or later, you're going to throw a big blood clot, have a stroke or a heart attack uh, or a pulmonary embolism, embolism. Um, you know, you might, your heart might be being damaged from myocarditis. This is still happening. And people who who took their last shot maybe a year or even two years ago, they're still getting blood clots. They're still getting myocarditis and they're still getting neurological injuries and cancer. So, you know, uh, if you do nothing, then that is the destination for most COVID vaccinated people. Right.
0: And that's another feature of what we were talking about in the first place, which is people getting injured, having these sudden acute injuries, maybe two years or so after receiving their injection and not making the connection with the injection when that very well may be the source of the injury. So those things don't even, you know, they don't get recorded as vaccine injuries when they very well are.
1: You know what's fascinating when, when I look at, because I study a lot of the, the, the literature that looks at vaccine injuries, and a lot of the literature just minimizes it, right? Right. And, but they also only look at in the first few weeks after taking the vaccine. Hmm. They never look at six months later or 12 months later or two years later. No one is looking at it. No one is publishing that, those kinds of studies. Right. All the injuries they look at are in the first few days or first few weeks. And even when I did this article on psychosis, I was looking at, well, is anyone looking at mental health changes, you know, a year down the road, two years down the road? No one is looking at it. No Mm. one is doing that research. Right. But there's definitely evidence of long-term effects of these vaccines.
0: Yeah.
1: uh, Because the injuries and the sudden deaths continue to rise very steadily. Um, And they have been since the vaccines were rolled out uh, at the end of 2020. And that shouldn't be happening because people have pretty much stopped taking the booster shots. I mean, you know, the last booster shot, I think only 10% of people have taken the last booster shot, Mm. uh, as opposed to, you know, 80, 85% taking the first two shots. So we shouldn't be seeing the injuries, uh, on the same scale, or we shouldn't be seeing the sudden deaths. And yet they continue to rise at a very steady pace. Um, and, and really haven't dropped off. So, so, The people who are being injured now, Uh, and a lot of them, I can't find any evidence that they took a vaccine recently. And, you know, their last vaccine maybe was a year, year and a half ago. These people are still developing problems and are still dying suddenly. Right.
0: Well, I would love to take calls if we have time. Anyone who wants to call in and talk to the brilliant Dr. William Mackis, please call 888-874-4888-888. 874-4888 Eight seven four four eight eight eight. hopefully you have the number already stored in your phone or committed to memory even better but if you'd like to talk to the brilliant Dr. William Mackis now is your chance I just ask please be organized with your question don't give us a, a grand philosophical statement let's maximize the time we have with this uh, brilliant medical professional and let me ask you um, doctor in terms of uh, something I heard you speak about in in an interview recently the uh, injury to athletes now I for one have noticed an unusual amount of medical cases pertaining to various athletes I mean again anecdotally I mean they love to be dismissive of anything anecdotal but it seems perfectly clear to me there's something wrong Um we had for the first ever Monday night football game, actually not Monday night football game, I believe professional NFL game that was inconclusive. The game didn't end. It was a, it was a draw. Or it was a game. It was a no contest, basically, not even a tie. It was an in, incomplete game because of a heart attack on the field in the first quarter. Um, we have LeBron James' son who had a heart attack again in a warm-up before he even started his college career. Now, bear in mind, LeBron James is the most durable NBA player possibly of all time. He's in his 20th season and still Mm -hmm. playing at an all-star level. So his son has a congenital heart condition. How did that escape all the medical experts that have evaluated him up until this point? Seen a number of soccer players just collapse on the field. I know you said soccer is perhaps the most dangerous of the sports. It's just constant cardiovascular output without the starting yeah. and stopping of other sports. Um, there's uh, the cyclist who sat down, his name is Kyle. I, I can't remember his last name offhand. I think his first name is Kyle. Had an interview early on with Dr. John Campbell, just saying, I'm a vaccine-injured cyclist. My, my career is over because of these shots. Yeah. I've, I've heard a lot. Um, there was a, a player named uh, Goodwin, Um, In the NBA, he was going to be on the Atlanta Hawks originally. He said that he had debilitating back pain and then was diagnosed with blood clots almost immediately after his injection, thereby ending his NBA career before it started. When I went to look up Goodwin, I had to dig a little bit deeper because the first thing that came came up was a Goodwin on the Baltimore Ravens football team whose season, possibly career, has ended due to blood clots. So, yeah. I mean, anecdote after anecdote after anecdote. What can you say in terms of the compilation of these injuries? What can we say? I mean, I, I was in a Twitter space last night with someone just vehemently denying that that this is unprecedented. They say, oh, people have always died suddenly and athletes have always died and had heart attacks on the field. We just didn't record it. It doesn't seem plausible to me. But what's your response to people who are trying to deny the fact that athletes are being injured at alarming rates.
1: Well, I'm seeing it. Um, you know, I'm seeing it in professional athletes, of course, uh, but you also see it in amateur athletes. Um, so, you know, not let's say the the highest tier, but you know, the, kind of the the, the lower tier, <laughs> as, as you know, who who do these sports for fun. Um, you see it in high school athletes, of course, um, and and it's it's just across the board. Anyone who's involved in athletics um, and this type of physical exertion, there seems to be an increase uh, in these uh, cardiac arrests or sudden unexplained collapses, uh, and then of course the, the sudden deaths as well. Um, you know, it, it's you know we're battling uh, we're battling an industry, a pharmaceutical industry or vaccine industry that is several hundred billion dollars uh, worth in, in terms of profits or revenues. Um, I think between Pfizer and BioNTech and Moderna, you know, last year I think they made over $200 billion in revenue, um, you know, from, from these MRNA vaccines. And, and, and so there's a lot of money involved. Uh, now I've seen some papers that have, uh, you know, try to, uh, sort of claim that, you know, there's no increase and, and, you know, they cherry picked some data and they looked at some, you know, college athletes and so on. And, and they said, well, look, there's no increase and in, in, in all that. A lot of this, in a lot of these papers, you know, there's a lot of statistical manipulation, uh, and you can make, you know, I mean, you can come to any kind of conclusion once you're manipulating statistics um, the bottom line is that I'm seeing it all around uh, I've compiled many of these cases I've, I've compiled hundreds of these cases uh, whether it's you know high school athletes or whether it's uh, college or university athletes uh, hundreds and hundreds of these these cases of just sudden collapses and um, unfortunately you know this and it seems to be ongoing I, again it's it's this trend is not slowing down. Mm. It, it continues to happen. We, we continue to see these players collapsing, soccer players. Um, and, you know, in my investigation, soccer really was, it really does seem to be the deadliest sport. Uh, and again, at all levels of play, from pro to amateur to, you know, people just that play in their local clubs, to soccer coaches, um, it doesn't matter, or to young young soccer players, it, it seems to be the most dangerous um, sport for these sudden cardiac incidents and, and sudden cardiac deaths. Running is another big one. And uh, well, bear in mind, who, you
0: know, like the NBA, they play, you know, every other night, for example. In professional soccer, mm-hmm. they have to take several days off between professional games because the players have literally run for miles in the previous game.
1: Yep. Yep. You know, I mean, and you do see it in. I mean, you know, football is another big one. Football I would say, probably right after soccer football uh, would be you know the next one. Um, I talked about running but but that is usually in the context of a of a marathon, mm-hmm. uh, so we've seen a lot of marathoners collapse and, and people doing triathlons wow. uh, a lot of collapses there as well. Uh, what's interesting when it comes to you know basketball uh, baseball, y- you wonder how many of these players have actually had you know, the real shots.
0: Yeah, I wonder about uh, that as well. Yeah, I thought that exactly.
1: Right. And, and so because it seems to be happening, you know, it, it like even in football, I noticed uh, it seems to be happening mostly to retired players. Yeah. You know, players who are already retired, but maybe, you know, they're still obviously, you know, a lot of them are very uh, athletic and continue to be um, you know, in, in great physical shape and so on, but yeah. it, it's the retired players that are collapsing. Look
0: at um, Dion uh, Sanders, multiple N- uh, NFL champion, two-sport athlete, an all-star in baseball and football, phenomenal athlete, has had multiple toes amputated all of a sudden. Yes. Uh,
1: yeah, but actually, yeah, we
0: do have a call on the line, and we're running out of time. Okay. So I would yep. love to hear from Ann in New Jersey. Are you on the air, Ann? Can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can hear you
0: excellent um what are your thoughts could you uh thank
1: you for your program and i love listening and your guests are great and thank you for being here um a lot of that thank you a lot of people when these injections were first pushed out chose to have the first dose and then opted out of of, you know subsequent ones have any of them been tested to see if years later they're still producing these proteins
0: Mm, good question dr mactus what do you say
1: so very little testing has been done um there are a few labs that are trying to test for either spike protein levels or antibody uh, antibodies to spike protein levels um i can tell you that i have heard of cases and this is just anecdotally but i have heard of, of of cases where people are producing spike protein and this is like two years after their last vaccine dose and they're still producing high levels of spike protein so Again, this is just anecdotally. A lot more work needs to be done on this, but but there is uh, you know there's starting to be some evidence that this, this for some people this is a long-term problem, and and it shouldn't be happening because you know if if the mRNA is is eventually degraded, um, then you know people shouldn't be produ- they shouldn't be producing the spike protein, uh, you know two years later. But it is happening in some people. So, and that's where you start to wonder, okay, well, did they have a, an integration event into their genome, and mm. now they're, they're gonna they're going be producing spike protein forever. Wow. Um, and Which so is interesting this is... would to see if anybody who's done these protocols at a lot of different doctors, including the one that you gave earlier, if somebody's implemented those after having a shot or two, do they produce? like has anybody been tested on that level and say oh okay yes. I, I know what's going on I don't want that in me I've done something am I okay now yes so so work is being done on that as well uh, again some of this work is being done by Dr. Peter McCullough for example uh, you know we've we've had individuals uh, I, I should say he's had individuals who started taking natokinase for example that breaks down the spike protein and he has seen uh, uh, their D-dimers levels drop, for example, right? So the D-dimer is a blood test that you do that is indicative of blood clots that are forming inside your body. And if you have high D-dimers, that means you've got a lot of clotting activity. Uh, and then, you know, they take the natokinase, which is supposed to break down of the spike protein, and you see those levels drop, sometimes back down to normal. Um, and, and and so, you know, when, when I talk about uh, these these natural products like natokinase or ivermectin or quercetin or, or, or pine needle or, or, or so on you know we're not just sort of guessing we're not just uh you know taking something out of the air there, there is work being done uh you know with actually testing people to see are they responding to these treatments you know are, are they is are there spike protein levels going down are there, you know, clotting factors going down. Right. And so there is evidence that some of these people are truly being helped by these products. Now again, a lot of work needs to be done on this. And and ultimately what I would love to see and I think this is you know, this is one of these big areas where whatever company comes out with a simple test to test for the spike protein in the blood is going to do extremely well because we need testing. Yeah. You know, we need to know who is still producing spike protein years later. We do, and that you know, if, if they have circulating spike protein, well, it's probably damaging their heart. It's probably causing blood clots, and they're probably at high risk of sudden death. But yeah, be I'm, one I'm of sorry to
0: cut you symptoms. off, Doctor Mackis. Yeah. You are a store of knowledge. We just we hit we hit the two o'clock mark, and I can't uh, be rude <laughs> to the next show. But thank you so much, Doctor Mackis, for being here. I, I I commend you for your commitment. And thank you so much for all that you're doing for the medical freedom movement and for humanity.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: And, yeah, everyone, please uh, tune in next week. We have another great guest lined up. We have a bunch of great guests lined up. The baseline is a hot ticket at this point. So please spread the word. Um, you know, check out my sub stack, buy a song today to support this program, JeremiahHosea.com, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H-H-O-S-E-A.com. And everyone have a beautiful weekend. Thank you. Yeah.